Fargo, Season 2, Episode 8, Lop Lop is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, and I'm joined here by a guy who wants a professional haircut, and he wants it now, Jeremiah Panhorse. Jeremiah, what's going on? What's up? I'm eating some of Peggy's delicious beans because I heard that uh, otherwise... She may not get. She may get mad. I don't want her to stab me or anything. So yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm enjoying these beans. What, what? How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. The beans are pretty good. You know, good. I'm not normally a beans guy, but these are not so bad. Not too bad, huh? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, unfortunately, everybody, Antonio Mazzaro is under the weather. He will not be joining us for this Fargo podcast. So instead, we've got a really special guest. I'm pretty stoked about this. It's Mike Milligan. Can you believe it? We got Mike Milligan on the hey, podcast. All right, Mike. Gentlemen, if I kissed you right now, would it be inappropriate? Um, no, it'd be super appropriate. Well, but. it might be inappropriate because we're technically talking over microphones and I'd be a mic making out with the mic, but I, you know what? I'll do it nonetheless. It'd be very strange. It'd be very strange. Of course, that's not Mike Milligan. It's Mike Blue. Yeah, I realized that was a lot more of uh, a, like a, a Jimmy Stewart than it was a Mike Milligan, but okay. I attempted it. It was good. I liked it. I liked it. It was fine. So yeah. Don't worry got, about it. We've got Mike Bloom back on the podcast who had filled in for me a couple weeks back. Now he's filling in for Antonio. And man, what a week for Antonio to miss out on. I said I said this offline that I feel like if there was a contest called Write Your Own Episode of Fargo and Antonio won, this would have been the episode he would have written, considering we had next to no alien talk and Dodd is tortured and killed on screen. It's like, yeah. it, it really is Antonio Mazzaro's dream come to life, Jeremiah. I know, it really is. When you told me that he was not going to be able to join us, I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. This is his episode. It really, it really is. He he missed out. All you guys have to do is listen to the Leftovers podcast that Antonio and I recorded earlier today to hear just how sick he really is. So he put his all into that one, and he needs to take a break tonight. So we've got Mike Bloom taking his place, pinch hitting for Antonio. And uh, I will say that Antonio, he did offer up some words that he wanted to share on the podcast. So I've got this from Antonio. It's his official statement on Lop Lop. This is what Antonio says. You ready? Mm-hmm. Oh, we're ready. Here's what he said. Today, we mourn the passing of Dodd Gerhardt, father of daughters, paver of typewritten digs. By mourn, of course, we mean cheer, for never has there been so near to gallant, nay, to stubborn fool, a man such as there was with Dodd. His half-brain-damaged, confused face is rivaled ever only by his full-on awful sexist haste and sibling rivalry with that Ursine guy. Dodd, the father, Dodd, the son, Dodd, the assholey spirit lays with the angels now to the extent angels lay, which is to say, not at all. They fly. So good riddance and goodbye to the man whose head was shoved so far up his own behind that even his brochach could not resist and eventually filled it with lead. Shocked, tenderized, decked out Dodd, never grace my television again. This is your boat. Burn notice. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> wow. I flopped it at the end. I flopped it at the end, but that was really good. That was really could, good. Could you, oh, play, I... could you play some music underneath? Uh, maybe. Yeah. We'll see. We'll Friends see. theme song? Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps I've uh, added a little something into that. Way to go, Antonio, for stealing the show on the podcast when you're not even on the podcast. What a show-off that guy, right? Oh, my God. Poet laureate of podcasting. Unbelievable. We're going to have to do something about that guy. Maybe we can can plot against him when we we finish recording here. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Sounds like a play. Well, let's talk about Lop Lop. And I know that there isn't a lot of alien talk this week, uh, but I kind of like how Lop Lop sounds like the Mars Attacks noise. Lop Lop! (laughs) <laughs> so you know maybe it we could does. Just, maybe we could just cue up the alien pop, talk pop. music anyway some at some point here 
<laughs> but it's it's good, you know. I think I think that this was this was obviously a big episode of Fargo. Big things happened. We are now only down to one Gerhardt son left. Bear is the last one standing. I don't think that I would have picked him to be the last uh, Gerhardt boy standing. Uh, it's the ones you least suspect that end up making it to the end. It's the quiet ones you need to watch out for. Yeah, Jeremiah, <laughs> what did you, what did you think about the way that Dodd went out? Were you were you shocked by this? A little bit, you know, because it happened so sudden. I mean, you kind of had a feeling as soon as Hansy turns to Peggy and starts talking about wanting a haircut, I was like, oh, 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 this this is not going to go well, I think, for Dodd. But then it was just like, boom, it was over. And you're like, wow, that was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it just was great, you know? I mean, even though it was sudden, it was still great, right? It was crazy. It was really crazy. I was not expecting it at all, except for the fact that uh, we, four of us, uh, you, me, Mike, and Antonio, we were on a text message chain about an hour ago while I was watching Fargo, and I had five minutes left to go in the episode, and Antonio said, I'm literally cheering over here. And I was like, oh, so obviously, <laughs> obviously Dodd dies. Wow, spoiler alert, yeah, Antonio. So Gee. thanks, Antonio. I mean, he writes wow. great poetry. He unintentionally spoils things. This man just sounds like the devil, but he can't be the devil because the devil is obviously a woman. Apparently, well, yeah. Exactly. I think that's just a theory. That's just a theory. <laughs> there's, no, there's no proof for that. Uh, Mike, you, were you shocked by the, by the Dodd death? Was this, a, was this a big left turn for you? Yeah, I mean, thinking about the way it was placed in the episode, I mean, in terms of network television, of course, you usually save the big deaths for the end. So I guess it makes sense in that perspective. But I think, uh, I think more so, I'm shocked that it's at the de- that the hands the hands of Hansy, uh, considering that we've had him on this search for the entire episode in in a almost Terminator like way. And then when he finally finds him, he decides to shoot him for what I can understand is basically. Because Dodd called him a half-breed and a mongrel, and that was sort of the end of Hansi's rope, and he decides to take him out right there, right then, and sort of become a free agent. But going into it, I mean, you saw them have a pretty tight relationship for the past seven episodes, and I would think the least person you would suspect to shoot Dodd in the head would have been Hansi. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jeremiah, this is something that you and I and Antonio, we've talked about a little bit, is like, how loyal is Hansi to Dodd? Uh, You know, we've had scenes where Bear is trying to be really nice to Hansi and be like, hey, you're one of us, and uh, I know know your dad's guy but i i consider you to be you know you know officially gerhart and things like that and we wonder just how loyal is hansy to dodd and i think that the series had been showing us that he is super loyal to dodd uh something had been simmering under the surface for a while that's gonna you know on, on a second look i think that's gonna be interesting yeah, I think on the second look, look, it will be much more interesting. I mean, we did see, though, many times that, of course, Dodd was verbally abusing Hansi many times. And it was just one of those things that it just took a matter of time before eventually it just popped. And it did for Hansi. And he had enough. He just had enough of Dodd in his big mouth, and he took him out. And one of the things I was going to ask Antonio, but I guess definitely going to ask you as well, uh, both of you guys, are you okay with Hansi, though, uh, being the one to to commit this murder, to kill Dodd? Because I know we talked a little bit uh, before about how it would be kind of great if one of the women would do it. Because, you know, obviously Dodd is also the biggest sexist pig we've ever seen in our lives on television. And <laughs> Certainly it would have been so satisfying yeah. if a woman <laughs> if a woman would have been the one to kill him. But I think, you know, when you look at it now, it makes so much more sense having this be Hansi to be the one that, uh, that there was the demise of, of Dodd. What do you guys think about this? you okay with it? Mike, do you, yeah. got, do you got thoughts? I'm okay with it because, I, you know what? I feel like Dead Dodd would say when he's in hell and he looks back upon his death, he would say like, well, yeah, of course a woman would kill me because they're ferocious and they don't have any rational thought. So I think it's an extra sting to actually have like his 
I'll use the term best friend or at least his closest ally murder right. him in cold blood. I feel like that stings more than having a woman do the deed. And also, I mean, he had spent his last waking hours on Earth being like brutally tortured by like super annoying Peggy. Like just like he was he was knifed by her. He was force fed beans. Uh, he had to endure her talking about self-actualization. He was having the <laughs> worst time. So she like in her own way really mutilated him. So his 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 final few hours on earth were, were not great and i like that at the very least steve even if it wasn't one of the the really strong women on the show that pulled the trigger against dodd which would have been very satisfying it would have been awesome to see um at least it's somebody that he was marginalizing with his bigotry and his mm-hmm. you know his bs i'm glad that somebody who was just on the on the receiving end of dodd's racism and ignorance and you know bullheaded uh brutal language and insults i'm glad that somebody was able to just like someone on that side if the line was just able to be like you know what shut up here's a bullet yeah. in there <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's just the, go ahead jeremiah no i was gonna say yeah you're right the uh, least likely of our female uh, characters to kill her to, to wind up being involved in torturing the man it, it was it was more sad i felt more satisfying this way it was great and it's a weird parallel too from that Hansy scene we saw at the beginning of episode two, I think it was, with the whole magician flashback, and we see that Hansy finds a like finds a rabbit in secluded grove and then ends up killing it. It's almost like Hansy was hunting for this metaphorical Gerhardt rabbit, and then he decides to break its neck at the end of the day. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I like Good that. point. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot to unpack in this episode. It was a big Peggy and Ed showcase. And even though Antonio is super thumbs down on Dodd, and Dodd is obviously an awful human being, I got to say, I really like Jeffrey Donovan's performance in this episode. So I want to give him some props uh, on his swan song here on Fargo. Him tied to the chair. It is his first scene, too, in the episode when Peggy is having this hallucination. <laughs> and then Ed finally comes down the stairs. And Dodd is just like, this lady's lost her mind, brother. Uh <laughs> <laughs> just like I thought that his like I'm a concerned citizen like the just like the routine that he had with the Blomquists on his final uh, his final day or two on Earth I thought that Jeffrey Donovan did a really great job with that yeah he was hilarious my favorite was in the one scene where they're they're trying to sleep at night but all Dodd can do is stare at them and Ed just puts a bag <laughs> over his head you just hear a very faint like God damn it yeah he's like damn it no <laughs> yeah. I, I thought uh, this was actually you know the last time I was on here we we talked about another very funny episode which was the Carl Weathers coming out party but I almost feel like. This episode is probably the most darkly comic episode of Fargo we've seen thus far in the series. And that I feel like having Ed and Peggy be- become these sort of uh, avatars for, you know, the characters in the movie, uh, you know, you see the, the similar secluded cabin with the bad TV signal. There's just so many entries for comic potential, especially with the pairing between Don and Peggy. It was very Cohen-esque. You know, it was definitely it was definitely bleakly funny and just, you know, Ed and Peggy, who really don't know exactly what they're doing in this situation. They're trying to sell Dodd back to the Gerhards and they think somehow that's going to buy them their freedom, but they don't have any plan for how to deal with the law. Uh, and they're just really they're really in over their heads, but they're like kind of quietly, calmly in over their heads. Like even when things are going really wrong, no one loses their temper. Uh, Peggy stabs Dodd a couple of times. And when Ed comes back and sees it. That he's you know he's fixated on it but he doesn't lose his cool like he just after she offers him some beans he's just like yeah you can't you can't keep stabbing <laughs> <laughs> so there's just a lot of really funny things like that 
Yeah, we talked about last week about how does some of the references to many of the many Cohen brother references distract the episode. And this, of course, episode had so much to involve, like you said, with the with the actual movie Fargo that it was really blaringly obvious for myself. Since Fargo is one of those movies that I have seen many many times and very familiar with, but I, I loved it because you know going back to like you said, I mean that that theme about these guys, the, these two obviously are way over the head I have no idea what they're doing and it just made the whole thing so funny and like you said if you didn't say it i was going to say that jeffrey Don- donovan i will give him some major props he was so funny between him and kirsten dunce i don't know which one gets the emmy here in this episode because they were both phenomenal during every scene that they were together it was just i couldn't stop laughing i mean i know i have a weird sense of humor a so it probably helps weird, weird is a word i would use to describe <laughs> to, it. but to me just you know the look on his face when she first stabs him was just so priceless. I, I loved it. And, I, and another thing, too, speaking of eye acting, and I know Antonio loves that, the eye, the eye acting he did when he when Ed first shows up and it, or, uh, it comes back and, and then he realizes some, that something happened, the look that he gives him of like, dude, your chick is nuts and she just stabbed the hell out of me was just – Oh, my God. I couldn't stop laughing. I think she punctured a lung. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was just, it was just such great television. It really was. <laughs> it, was it was really good. All right. Well, let's, let's kick things off uh, in, at the top of the episode. Uh, I really loved the camera kind of just curling through the maze of uh, Peggy's hoarded items. I thought it was a really cool Fargo shot. I think that was just really kind of iconic. Uh, and it, it ends with Peggy sitting at the top of the stairs, and she's looking down at Dodd, who she's tied up. And very quickly, he transforms into, who is this, Life Spring Master? I believe it's Jacob. It's Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> it's the man in the chair in the cabin. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Help me. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a bird outside that goes, Peggy! Yeah, Peggy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Peggy bird. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, speaking about this tracking shot, first of all, uh, I feel like one of the interesting themes that comes with the season of Fargo is also everyone solely kind of descending into animalistic aspects where things are just kind of going crazy and everyone's kind of going uh, turning into carnivores, if you will. Uh, and that's, I felt like that first tracking shot through all the piles almost seemed like a point of view shot from an animal kind of stalking its prey a little mm-hmm. bit. And it sort of ties into the title here. So Lop Lop, yeah, besides sounding like the, uh, the attack from Mars Attacks, is apparently, <laughs> it was a, uh, uh, it's a, a character created by Max Ernst, who's an artist. And it's, uh, it's like a bird-like alter ego apparently and um apparently it was created in response to like his i guess his cockatoo died when he was young and so through his like weird confusion and psychological anguish he started creating these weird man and animal hybrids almost like the island of dr moreau and the main example of this is lop lop so i i'm gonna try to think say that i think lop lop and this whole tracking shot is sort of a symbol of how peggy in particular has just become a has she's broken bad but broken bad in a really weird way in that she's not walter white sort of levels of sociopaths she's just sort of a little uh fixed in the head if you will but she's i mean now that now she's stabbing people uh she's not just running over people with their cars and taking side roads she's 
flat out attacking people with knives. Well, she believes that she is actualized <laughs> fully. Uh, you know, she's told in this vision by Jacob, uh, think or be, you can't do both. And the takeaway she gets is you're saying, don't think about the person I want to be, just be that person, just be that person. And that becomes like her self-affirmation. Um, and, you know, she's going to tell Ed later on when they're driving, she's like, we're doing it, it's happening, we're being our best selves. Um, and so her best self is like, Kind of Heisenberg-y? Yeah, a little, apparently. Obviously, she did. I mean, yeah, it was a great. It was just interesting to see her transformation there as she has like this epiphany, obviously, where she's we're hearing these thoughts that are in her head and, she, and she's just like it's all of a sudden it's clear for her. It's just crazy. Right. And she kind of goes into this her own alter ego there. And it was it was just so great. And then I leading into the course, the scene in the car where the two of them were pretty much pretty much having two opposite conversations which is fantastic yeah yeah so she's gone full heisenpeggy at this point yeah 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 and and now that antonio's off we can really praise the split screen uh because <laughs> I, I do think that actually i think the split screen was used actually really well in that car conversation you're talking about jeremiah because yeah. it really showed that even though they're sitting right next to each other they are worlds apart in terms of thoughts on this situation where you know ed's trying to to think out loud and really plan his next step so that he avoids getting killed and is just trying to stay one step ahead of the gangs that are pursuing him peggy's taking it as like a great opportunity like she just won the publisher's clearinghouse yeah yeah right pretty much yeah this is definitely one of these the times that this this particular uh split screen really does work very well and i i I think that it's fair to say that there's a lot of times it doesn't, but this this time it really did, and I lo- I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I thought that the split screen was great, and I loved how it, it made Ed and Peggy look closer together in the car. I, I I thought that that was really a really nice touch, though. I like that. I also like later on um, when we have Ed is in the phone booth at the gas station, and Peggy and Constance are on the phone with each other. I, I thought that the split screen used there was really good too. Yeah, reminded me of like Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah, it was great. Wow, a Bye Bye Birdie <laughs> reference. Wow. Oh my god. <laughs> Mr. Mel again. Uh, this is Ed Blom. Quick. Oh, Harvey Johnson. Get <laughs> out of my podcast. What? Unbelievable. I was in Bye Bye Birdie when I was in summer camp. Did you play Harvey Johnson? I think you and I talked about this. I think we did talk time, about this Mike. too, which is why I think I remember yeah, that. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before. I think that was on a Wet Hot American Summer podcast, Once yes. Upon a Time. Uh, not on Once Upon <laughs> a Time. <laughs> I, a time I, I've, never, I've never appeared on Mike Bloom's Once Upon a Time podcast. I'm still waiting for my invitation. Uh, it's in the mail, I swear. In the mail. <laughs> but you, you keep changing your address. <laughs> Just make sure. <laughs> That's so wicked of me. Okay, let's let's move it along. Uh, I, what what do we think about when Lou and Hank roll up after Ed and Peggy leave? They take Dodd. Obviously, we know that their their harebrained plan is let's take the valuable Gerhart and see what we can get out of it. Um, Hank and Lou they roll up. Hank is obviously he's got a bit of a headache after getting knocked in the face by Hansy in episodes previous. Uh, we were kind of bagging on Hank a little bit, and it wasn't just us. It was a lot of the commenters on PostShowRecaps.com and other people on the internet who were taking a little bit of an issue with uh, last week's episode where Hank was just like, oh, I really should have checked in on Peggy before I left. That probably would have been a good idea. Um, do we, are, we holding, are we holding it against him still that much this week? Or is the fact that when we see him in this episode and he's sitting on the stairs, he's really dazed and out of it. Um, do we give him a little bit of a pass that Hank is just not up to snuff right now? Yeah, absolutely. This this scene was that's exactly what the scene was telling us is to let us know that Hank was in really really bad shape and 
I think it's enough to warrant that he obviously had a concussion. And, you know, when you have a concussion, you're not thinking straight, you know? So I think, I think we could give Hank a pass here after seeing how bad a shape he really, he really is in. Mike, what do you re- think, Mike? Are you, are you okay ready, with that? Are you ready to give him a pass, Mike? I'm, I'm ready to give him. I mean, I, I did come down hard on him when I, when I was here last time, but it's, it's pretty clear that he was very heavily concussed and that obviously impairs the judgment. I have a weird theory about Hank that I'd like to throw out to you guys, uh, because Ooh. I, like you guys, I was severely weirded out by the drawings that were found. Wait his- a second. Are we about to do some alien talk? I, I'm actually, it's, it's about the perspective alien talk, but it actually doesn't have to deal with aliens. Right. I don't know if you want to pay, oh, play okay. the music. Just Jeremiah, cool it on the music. Hold the music. Okay, well, hold up, hold up. But I'm, I don't know, I'm starting to think that between the drawings and, you know, his, his weird sort of sense of judgment here, obviously he got a knock in the head, but something is telling me that Hank isn't all right up there. And I'm starting, to, I'm starting to wonder, you know, I talked a little bit about, like, Mace Window Syndrome, and I was afraid that yes. Hank was going to die. But now I'm starting to feel like, what if it ends up happening that Hank is sort of, like, gone crazy over this idea of um, whether it be extraterrestrial life or some sort of weird connection with symbols, symbology, what have you, and the season ends with him getting shipped off to a crazy house. Why would he? Hmm. What, what would what would happen from there? He's just a lunatic. He could be. Yeah, he just gets he gets just gets shut away as someone who's sort of muttering to himself. Oh, that seems sad. I know, hmm. it's super sad, but I don't know that that's that's how I sort of compartmentalize the drawings myself. Is that he's you know he always seems a little off and he seems like really particularly stubborn throughout the entire season and it's it's just leading me to this weird theory that maybe he is a little fixed in the head i'll use that phrase again and <laughs> so like does he go total michael gingsburg you know to a, to kind of have a yeah, reference for mad men where uh, he hopefully, just hopefully goes we won't nuts. see more cut off nipples uh on, yeah on okay. network tv but <laughs> i mean this could be an interesting thing too if like if he gets sent to go deal with sioux falls and he flips his lid then that situation becomes even more incendiary. Wow! Mm. So we're looking, we're looking at possible uh, cuckoo Hank. This is yes, this that's is, my that's, that's my cuckoo Hank theory. That, that's your tinfoil Hank theory. Absolutely. So I'm going to draw my own pictures and put them up all around my living room <laughs> that my wife will find, and then she'll draw her own conclusions based on that. <laughs> all right. Well, as Antonio would say, you've just planted a flag. Let's see if there's anything to that. I'm not, I'm not no. buying it necessarily just yet. I think that when we've seen Hank, for the most part, he seems like he's been pretty solid and sturdy. And like the way that he carried himself in the Mike Milligan scene earlier in the season, I thought that that was a really solid calm, brave guy in the face of what could have been a very heated, escalated situation. So I think that Hank has been pretty legit throughout most of Fargo. And I think really it's been the bump on the head where he started acting a little loopy. And of course, who the heck knows is going on with all those uh, with all those drawings in his office. That really is out there. So how that connects, maybe, maybe there's something to what you're saying here. But I think I got to see a little bit more before I sign on completely. Yeah, totally understandable. Yeah. I can't. I just can't believe Sam Malone would actually be uh, having issues like that. Come on now. But could you believe Becker would be having those issues? Oh well, that's a good point. Classic. Hmm. Let me rethink that then. <laughs> Classic Becker. Uh, all right, so let's go. Let's go with Peg and Ed. They're driving to their cabin in Conestoga. Uh They'll go there. They'll hole up there, and um, and we get we get Dodd, who's you know he's kicking his his way out of the trunk. He gets cattle prodded. He's getting shocked with the cattle prod. He's biting off pieces of his tongue, and it's really like it's just very very Fargo esque, Cohen esque slapstick humor in in its own dark way. That's just uh, this is this really characterizes a lot of the episodes it's just sort of this physical comedy that's going on yeah give give 
props to Peggy, man. She was like, hey, I'm going to get this uh, kettle prod ready to go in case he's a little feisty. And sure enough, Dodd just comes out kicking, just kicks the hell out of uh, poor Ed. And then, luckily, like I said, she had that thing ready to go. She was able to zap him. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what happens when you're actualized. When you're fully actualized, you're yeah. ready to go with cattle prod in hand. That's right. Her mind was so damn clear. Damn, wow. Very clear. It's that, <laughs> it's that, life, spring, uh, it's that life spring attitude. It'll do it for you. Yeah, it's all yeah. those life spring serial killers that immersed after the program. It totally makes sense now. Yeah. Uh, so, Ed, he's going to go make some calls at the convenience store in town. He's going to use the payphone, so it's an untraceable call. So props for him uh, thinking about that. And then his plan is he wants to tell them, I love how he phrases it, if we give him back to, to you, you got to promise we'll go unmolested. Uh, and Peggy says, and if they say, That's important. yeah, That's a- and Peggy says, and if they say no, and Ed says, well, then I'll show them which parts the flank steak. Uh, so I just, I liked that. Like that was like the, that was a little, uh, a little breaking bad toddy sort of, uh, butcher of Laverne moment that I really liked. I just liked that mental image of, is Ed really like, is this just tough talk or would he be willing to actually, you know, put his butcher skills to good use against this guy? Uh, I, I, I highly doubt it, but it was just cool to, to hear him talking that way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, when we saw, you know, Ed did punch Dodd in the face the first time he saw him this episode. So something tells me that there's this like simmering white hot rage that's underneath Ed that sort of came to a boil when the uh, fire happened at the butcher shop. And now he's sort of on the defensive and is ready to basically lash out at anyone who comes at him. Yeah, he's got this he's got this fire in him uh, that that comes out in every once in a while where he just has these like sudden brutal acts of violence but then there's still that very creepy jesse plemons calm that washes over him he never just loses his cool uh which is it makes him i don't know it makes him totally unpredictable that's very true he definitely unpredictable yeah um so he's gonna he's gonna go he's gonna make the call and so we're starting to see a lot of last week's events from ed's perspective you know we got at the gerhardt compound a lot we were getting phone calls and bear just being like yeah take a message uh, we're, we're not dealing with the dot thing uh so we're getting to see that from ed's perspective and ed is obviously frustrated because he's like why wouldn't you answer my call i have your you know your oldest son you're not interested in this so it's fun to see from ed's perspective i also like the, the first conversation where he has where he's like well because as much as we talk about ed sort of uh brutally attacking people sometimes he also is like he's ed and so he handles this phone call <laughs> not so gracefully when he's like yeah is this uh is this the the gerhardt headquarters uh this is uh you know this is the the butcher yeah uh no not a butcher um you know, the butcher you know <laughs> from laverne can, can i speak who's ever in charge yeah that's good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Ed's tough talk uh, could use a little bit of work. Absolutely. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, just a little, <laughs> just a little bit. But I think Peggy's got this on lock because this is this is a really, really great scene between Dodd and Peggy. Where Dodd at first is trying to be like, you know, I got four daughters. I'm not a bad guy. And Peggy's like, you called me a whore. I heard you. And Dodd <laughs> says, I swear to Christ, when I'm free, you're gonna see the back of my hand. And he's just, you know, being this awful, awful guy, the one that we, you know, we know and loathe at this point. And then Peggy just like comes right up to him and like super calmly slow pokes him in the shoulder with <laughs> a knife. 
and just like the like the the cool calm casualness that she that she uses as she just like slowly pokes him in the shoulder potentially in the lung uh with the knife do you think that that was just dodd trying to make uh make it sound more epic than it really was because i'm not sure he looked kind of pale and pasty when he was finally out of those ropes by the end of the episode it looked to me like she may have really hurt him pretty badly yeah i mean i'm i'm not a doctor but i'm if he had really punctured a lung i don't think he would have made it through that night right wouldn't his lungs have like started to fill with blood no i think you yeah i think you're right he, he's full of crap there i think he was just hoping that maybe they would do something about his wounds i don't know but man she definitely poked him enough to where i'm sure he was losing a lot of blood he didn't look happy <laughs> no he didn't and dot looks like the but kind you, of yeah dot looks like the kind of guy who could take a hit and could take an injury and like he wouldn't be thrilled about it but he'd be fine but he looked he looked really really well, not had, happy he handled it way better than I would because I'd be crying like a baby, you know. If I, I, was just, I was waiting for Peggy to just do a big, like, smiley face across his belly because she already did the two eyes. <laughs> oh, gross. No. She, the way the whole thing went down was, was like if she was talking to a little toddler like, now you behave, young man. It's yeah. just great. I'm gonna stop to stab you again. I just th- thanks yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, I I love Peggy. I love how she's like you know you you stick around me and you'll see. I I try to stay positive. Positive Peggy is what they call me. And she's just you know <laughs> she's saying like uh, all of this has been so hard on Ed. He's really delicate, you know. But deep down, it's really been hard on him. And I'm sorry that I hit your brother, but he was stepping onto the road. He wasn't even you know looking where he was going. And she keeps who does that? She just. just <laughs> <laughs> she, she just keeps talking while he's just like sitting there in the chair being like ow you stabbed me twice <laughs> so it's really really yeah, it's great so I thought, yeah i thought that this was the funniest kirsten dunn stuff that we've gotten on the season so far oh, i thought that this was man. her best work so far it was yeah. great it was just so fantastic uh to, speaking of all this punishments that poor Todd gets put through i saw somebody today on reddit uh posted uh nesta posted he said do you remember the conversation dot had with simone about how now that she's growing up the penalties first uh first a fist and then uh, then a knife and it's kind of funny because the first thing ed ed punches <laughs> dot in the face and now peggy's slashing him with the knife which is kind of funny how that came full circle with that conversation he had with his daughter about penalties about but he, bro- he, he, neglect, he neglected to mention the beans though first the fish yeah. then the knife yeah. then the beans first. the beans are the worst part because you won't like you won't want the beans but you're gonna get the beans yeah first yeah, there you was get a, the fish and there was a lot of people talking about how disturbing it was that she was so in her own world she didn't even realize that she was shoving beans down his throat yeah, <laughs> yeah. i'm actually i'm actually happy that peggy has been uh taking birth control on the side because i do not want to have her as a parent after oh my god no <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm interested. I want to see what the offspring of Peggy and Ed is like. That's going to be one lethal killer. That's true. That's a good point. That's Fargo Fargo season three. (laughs) We're going to see the true butcher of Laverne in season three. Yeah, good point. (laughs) No, it is great that Peggy is just feeding him beans. And she's like, oh, I forgot you didn't even want the beans. And he's like, no, it's good. Really, it's good stuff. Maybe, maybe his lungs were filling with beans at that point. Yeah, they were uh, they were stopping the wounds. It was stopping the bleeding. Yeah. We were, <laughs> the cauterize the yeah, wounds. Yeah, we have to beans. cauterize the wounds with beans. Yeah, I think that's like a bear point. grills thing to do. Yeah, totally. 
<laughs> yeah, at this point, he is probably just glad she is not stabbing with the knife. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I think at that point. I also love how she's just like, oh, will you listen to me nannering on? Uh, so, yeah, she's just, she's great. I loved Kirsten Dunst in this. You know, I've been a little up and down on Peggy just because you don't really, you, you don't really know what's going on with her through much of this season. But I was way in on Peggy this week. I thought Kirsten Dunst just crushed it. And I just love, again, we touched on this, too, when Ed comes back and Dot is just like, help me. She's crazy. Keep her away from me i think she punctured a lung uh <laughs> and and she gives ed some beans and like he's just like he's already said this a few times but after he gets the beans he's just like hun you, you gotta stop stabbing him and that's the cut to commercial <laughs> that that is probably one of the best lines yeah. in the whole episode yeah it's a one really, of them. really good uh really good break uh all right so now we start to see hansy who we already know is on their trail because he he kind of was just like lurking in the bushes when hank and lou were at the blomquist house uh so he's on their trail he's on the path and we get this real Really wild scene where he he walks into a bar he you know he wants some water he thinks there's some spit in the water certainly probably was he gets some tequila poured in front of him so he can verify that it is sans saliva uh and he's just getting you know tons of racial slurs thrown at him and it's really uncool and it's not like anyone here deserves to get what they get in this necessarily but you can understand <laughs> where hands he's coming from uh, well, yeah, and I also don't understand, was racism against Native Americans a thing in the 1970s? Because wasn't, wasn't, weren't the, the, the squabbles between these two uh, ethnicities, didn't that go blow over like a hundred years before this? Is this still like a, a flaming issue within our culture? I mean, I think that it's not great. I think that it still exists in certainly in uh, 1970s northern Midwest. Yeah, I think I think so. I think it still exists. Uh, a lot of people still believe it still exists today. And as far as how how prominent was it in the 1970s, I don't quite know. I was only a few years old when 1979 was around. But yeah, I think I think it was there. And I thought it was kind of interesting too. Before he even gets in the bar, where he sees a sign about the 22 uh, hung uh, Indi- Indians yeah, from 1892. Yeah. So I mean that that really kind of set things up for all the racial slurs that he was going to be hearing from the bartender in there. And I'll tell you what, though, you know, if somebody if somebody spits in my cup, in fact, I think this happened to me once before, and I, I think I shot that bartender as well. Oh so, my you know, god, oh. you're not supposed to confess that on the air. <laughs> oh, whoops. Hey, can we cut that out? Yeah, for the I'll, podcast. I'll, yeah, appreciate I'll, that. Yeah, I'll, I'll fix it in post. I'll fix it in post. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that this is consistent with what we've been getting from Hansy throughout the series. Yeah. You know, I think that Hansy, one of the chips on his shoulder is that he has been the victim of racism through much of his life. Uh, I yes. think that I think that you see uh, bits of that in the flashback to his days as a kid. You get him talking about that when he is um, in the garage with Sonny several episodes ago when he's talking about the type of work that he did in Vietnam where he had to track and he had to go down mines and he had to learn all of these crucial skills. And he only had to do it because the people in his company uh, were basically like, hey, you're the Indian guy. You go and do all of your, your sweet tricks. And he basically was just like for pure survival, had to learn a lot of that stuff. And so he, he you know, I would use the word complaining with Hansy, but he's very weary when he's talking about that stuff. You know, he seems very tired and exhausted by that kind of treatment. We've seen Dodd treating him poorly throughout the throughout the show. So I think that we we've gotten a lot of that 
poured on Hansi's shoulders throughout uh, Fargo season two thus far, that when we get to this part of the show where there's just some idiots at a bar being total idiots and being totally awful, it's just the tipping point. It's just like, finally, this guy who has really poured so much of himself into the Gerhards and into doing their bidding and is probably questioning, why am I even bothering with these people? I guess it's just all I know at this point. You just get the sense and throughout the episode, and especially toward the end, you really get that he's just freaking exhausted. And I think that there seems to be some, you know, post-war trauma involved as well. Mm-hmm. Like when, he's, oh, yeah. when he's talking to the bartender and he says, like, um, when, when the bartender says, I'm not sure I want to serve alcohol to someone who doesn't want to be an American, because he's talking about, uh, didn't you guys uh, try to create a country a while back? And he says, uh, how about a guy who served three tours in Vietnam and has a Purple Heart and a Bronze Star? Do you want to give a drink to that guy? And, like, there's just, again, like, a sense of, like, he's tired. He's sick of this. He's sick of this BS. And he's already on the hunt. Like, he already has kind of blood in the air that he's trying to track down. And I think it's just like, you know what? F these guys. I'm not letting them get away with this. I just got to I gotta take care of this. Well, I actually found out a fun fact today as well that I think the one guy that ran away from the whole scuffle, he apparently went on to become the head coach of the Washington Redskins. So oh, all, oh really? Uh, oh, no, but oh. I, I think I totally agree with you there. And I think, I, you know, again, I talked last time about how I think this season did a, has done a great job of really bringing the women characters to life. And I, I feel like this is the same thing with minority characters as well. I mean, last year was pretty whitewashed. Uh, this year we have Mike Milligan and we have Hansi who represent two very different dynamics uh, between them and the Caucasian Americans during that time of uh, the country. And I think that it's just a really interesting idea that this season is taking a look at marginalized characters, uh, mar- people whose, you know, were marginalized based on either their gender or their ethnicity at that time because it it, it uh, figures so much into the way they're viewed. I mean, we saw last episode, you know, uh, you know, Adam Arkin tells him like basically almost kind of throws a slur at Mike Milligan and says, you know, I thought you were better than right. them. Uh, and, and you, you don't really experience that sometimes because again, they're so kind of ingrained to the woodwork, but you forget that, yeah, this is a time when people that might've had a different skin tone were not looked highly upon. And that affects the way that the positions that they're in and the way they're treated. And, for Dodd, he part of the reason why he died is because he was sort of with the times and treated the treated Hansy the way that these people in the bar treated him. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, definitely catches up to him. Just like the awfulness that he's been spewing out all season long and probably all his life. Eventually, it just it you know it does what it does. Uh, so so all that all that is really you know it's really compelling stuff. And I mean, he shoots the cops and he's just like he's just like kind of in total Terminator mode at that point. Yeah, th- this is where he just completely just he completely loses it you know i mean this this is it it was the final straw for him and then he just goes goes grows rogue it's pretty pretty awesome to watch so it's crazy um jeremiah there's not a lot of alien stuff in this episode but there is some alien stuff here at the bar isn't there there is a little bit should should we dig a little bit into a little bit of alien talk you think this is the shot this is the time to do it if we're gonna do it don't throw away your shot all right well let's 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 do a little alien talk in a galaxy far, far away comes alien talk. Oh, no. Alien talk episode seven. I thought that that wasn't coming out for a few more weeks. Starring. The, Far- the Fargo Josh Awakens. Wiggler, Mike Blue. <laughs> and Jeremiah Panhorst. We see one then. Oh, my Sorry. God. 
Uh, dodge Get shot first. Relax, <laughs> as we have some alien talk on post-show recap. Oh, God. Great. All right. Let's Wait, talk so aliens. Is this bar then like the equivalent of the most Eisley Cantina? Yeah, pretty much. I think that that's what's going on here. And then, wait, so then the guys that Hansy shot were the, the, the I don't like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dr. Death. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't that's- like you. I don't like you either. Uh, if only Hansy had chopped off one of their arms, I feel like it'd be a perfect simile. Yeah. I right? felt bad for that guy. <laughs> the guy who got his arm, I feel, I feel like he was just yeah. misunderstood. He may have just been like, be like, do you know where the bathroom is? Well, that's a, there's a whole there's a whole robot chicken special about Star Wars, and there's one sketch about it where he's like a famous architect, and he goes in and he just says like, oh, I I love your shoes, and then but his friend is such a, an ass about it that he ends up getting his arm cut off and he gets fired from his job. Uh yeah, Ponda Baba is his name. That guy. Yeah, I was looking for Figrin Dan in the bar, and I didn't see him or the modal node. So, uh, <laughs> but the music on Fargo is great anyway. You don't need those guys. You don't need the yeah. Moss Eisley Cantina band. Uh, but yeah, there is a little tiny, tiny, tiny bit of alien stuff in this episode. Certainly not as overtly as it has been in the past or the very recent past as in last week. Um, but the the symbols that Hank has in his office, plastered throughout his office, this is um, from a screen, ga- uh, screen grab on Reddit, on the Fargo Reddit. Uh, those same symbols or symbols that are like that seem to be hovering above the bar, right, Jeremiah? Yeah, they are hovering above the bar, and they do look very similar to the ones that we saw in Hank's office. And did you guys just get a chance to look at it real carefully? What, what, what was your first thoughts? Mike, did you I, check this out? I, I haven't checked it out, no. No, I didn't. Okay. I, it, just, it, it looked similar to what was in Hank's office, but beyond that, I haven't thought much about it. Well, uh, here's something I did. I, something I picked up on Reddit as well. There was one of the one of the people said that it could possibly cattle brands, which I'm not, of course, familiar with cattle brand because I don't seem hard to believe. I am not a rancher, but wow. that's a shock. <laughs> but, wow. but when you go to search, if you go search uh, Google and just search cattle brand, you'll find that these a lot of those symbols that they use that they burn onto the uh, animal to mark the the cattle does look a lot like these as well. Now, I think that's a nice, clever find and everything, but I think this is definitely meant to be the same symbols that we saw in Hanks. As far as I'm concerned, it has to be the same symbols that we're seeing in Hank's office, right? Yeah, well, if if, uh, if it's cattle brands, don't aliens, don't they love beaming up cows? Isn't that one of their things? That's, what That's they like true. To do. They like to do I've that. heard aliens do love beef. But so do but so do twisters. Yeah. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true too. Uh, so who knows? Who knows where any of this is going? If Antonio was here, he'd be groaning a lot. I'm sure he's groaning as he's listening to this right now. Uh, you know, I I still shrug my shoulders and say, let's see where this is going. This at least isn't so in your face, Mike. How I I may have missed this on uh, your appearance on the podcast. How do you feel about the alien stuff overall? I mean, I I pretty much said I I still I didn't think that it was a possibility, but this was before you know Hank's den that, um, according to my weird wackadoodle theory, might not even be connected to aliens. I mean, it just it. I think, like I said last time, the show's gonna have to do a really really good job to have this become effective because I, I I'd say the show is pretty grounded in realism, even though uh, they do have some kind of weird endings where everyone who's bad ends up, you know, getting it in the end, which is obviously not a trait of the most realistic shows. But I think that, you know, if they want to remain somewhat grounded in, in a realistic setting, they wouldn't have aliens actually exist and come in. You know, it reflects a little too much of Indiana Jones and the crystal skull in terms of like a deus ex machina, 
Uh, you know, you wonder why a lot of these characters are all disappeared uh, or why they're not really talked about. And only Lou Salverson is, is left, you know, 30 years later. Maybe it wasn't that they all die. Maybe they all got abducted by aliens. But if that's the case, uh, I don't know. I know it got renewed for a third season, but that's going to that's going to lean heavily on my trust with the show. Fargo in space. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> yeah, that might be where we're going. Could be. I, I'm. I'm gonna hold. Like I said, I'm holding judgment. We'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping it does go well. I, that's yeah. all I can say. I trust you, Noah Holly. Don't don't let me down, bro. I, there I, you go. I believe in you, buddy. So pull this off, and we'll all be happy. Uh, otherwise, we're gonna have a finale podcast dominated by just furious Antonio Mazzaro. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's close the book on that. Let's move it along. How about instead of alien talk, we could have some some urine talk because Dodd has to go to the bathroom and Ed needs to help him out. And this is uh, this is weird. This is weird stuff. Oh my god, it was so funny but so uncomfortable at the same time because I was just like. Oh, is he really going to do that? Oh, he's doing he's it. Doing he's it. doing it. Oh, my but, God. But again, it speaks so great to Ed's <laughs> sort of, uh, you know, quote unquote, badass role here. Because even when he tries to be the butcher of Laverne, he still ends up holding his prisoner's <laughs> dog in his hand while he has to pee. Yeah. Well, it's the Geneva Convention, you know? <laughs> he's got rights. Yeah, that's true. He, he right does to. have he rights. Just, he can't just let him pee his pants. Oh, man. Did Ed, I hope that he ran right over and washed his hands. I, I wasn't paying attention to that part. But I would assume so. He's, I he's a, so. He, he wiped it right in Dong's, uh, <laughs> Dong's, Dodd's. Uh, oh, boy. Words. Oh, no. Dog, we're, in, we're in trouble here. We're in trouble. We're in warning, trouble. warning. Yeah, full bloom alert. Full bloom alert. Let's get out of this. Let's back it up. Let's back it up. I think that he washes hands. He's a butcher. He's used to handling meat. He'll be fine. Uh, That's a good point. So uh, he's gonna. Ed's gonna leave. He's gonna go make another phone call at the gas station. No one's picking up, or it's re- it's really just not working out. He's gonna come back the next day. The only other thing, I mean, two things of note in the gas station. One is that he's gonna make the connection with the clerk, which is gonna lead uh, Hansy eventually to the cabin. So that's a big deal. But the other thing that I that I liked. Uh, he looks at the box of hamburger helper and he passes on it, right? He doesn't yeah. buy it eventually. Right. Uh, so man, these Gerhards, they even ruined hamburger helper for, for the Blomquist. That's very sad. Uh, it's so sad. I, I, you know, I loved him. I love hamburger helper, you know, it's good yeah. stuff. Well, you know, it's, it's that's the, that nice, simple mm-hmm. symbol of, you know, that's the first thing that Peggy makes for him when he comes home in episode one. And I think that it's just a, a great symbol of, like, this guy lives in a house that his parents lived in. He's a, used to a certain lifestyle his entire life so far. And the fact that he's been jarred and placed something else, and placed somewhere else, I should say, uh, is definitely kind of setting him off a little bit. And it's driving him crazy as he sort of vocalizes to the shopkeeper that ends up being his undoing and leads Hansy right to him. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, those simple days of his dream of having the butcher shop and just living in their houses you know his house that he's lived in his whole life and eating hamburger helper on thursdays or whatever and just having kids with peggy and living the cool life that he's wanted it seems like those days are over and it's it's represented here by him just resisting the hamburger helper and i thought that that was a really kind of subtly sad moment for for poor ed here yeah, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's, it's it's hard not to feel sorry for this poor guy. How just everything is completely falling apart. His whole life is just 
Oh, it's a disaster, it's and bad. then he has to live with the fact that his wife is loving every second of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, she's, I don't know what's going on. Oh, no, she's she's liking this life. Come she's, on. Well, we'll see by the end of the episode. I don't know. Uh, uh, are, we, we'll are, we, are we loving the scene with Peggy and Constance Heck? Hansy has found Constance Heck. Uh, he, has, he has gone to her motel room. He is coaching her through a conversation with Peggy, trying to track down Peggy, trying to find out where Peggy's at. Um, are we are we a fan of this, Mike? Did you like this scene? I mean, I would say that the s- few seconds after Peggy hangs up the phone and it's just Hansy and Constance is terrifying. Just yes. that we talk about eye acting, but the look that he gave her and he sort of subtly slips his hand up at the top of her head and seems like he's about to like grab her hair. I mean, we don't we don't know what happened to her. Uh, can't have been good either way, but that was. That was so scary. But in terms of the conversation itself, it's interesting because, um, it, you know, I think of the, uh, when Kirsten Dunst was shown to be in this season, I myself made a lot of comparisons like, oh, great. This is like Amber Atkins and Drop Dead Gorgeous. You know, she's perfect at playing this sort of bubbly Minnesotan woman. And she hasn't shown a lot of those shades throughout the season, except for this conversation, I feel like. And maybe it's because it was with a friend and she thought she could, you know, say anything she wanted and loose lips sink ships a little bit. And she got lucky that she was hesitant to not give away any sort of information on the phone. But yeah, it was a, it's a weird sudden shift to see 15 minutes ago, Peggy was, you know, mindlessly stabbing Dodd, possibly puncturing his lungs. And now she's just sort of chit chatting about how the seminar is and, you know, how much she's missing, missing it and how she wants workbooks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's like these life spring workbooks, man, you're really going to love these. You should really let me go bring them to you right now, please. Uh, yeah, it, we got this. It, we got the sense that Constance was looking for a little bad romance with yeah. Peggy, right? I mean, she she was expecting Peggy to come into the hotel room. She was expecting to share the hotel with her, and she was getting a little mood lighting going on in there. Yeah, we talked about this. I remember a, a few episodes back when we first kind of wondered. I wonder if there's other motives there for her, and this, of course, confirms it. She she definitely had some interest there. Yeah. So what so. what did you think about that, Mike? Were you uh were you surprised by that or did that make sense to you? I mean, I guess I was a little surprised with it only because uh I you know, when was the last time she appeared in the show? Probably like episode four or five, it's right? A, so it's, it's been a minute, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of like out of sight, out of mind. I'd sort of she was pretty prominent in the first few episodes, especially when she was sort sort of set up as like, Oh, will she be on to what happened to Peggy and Ed? But once she kind of disappeared, I, I forgot about it until they happened to come up to Sioux Falls. And yeah, I mean uh, you don't light candles for a friend unless, you know, even even in the musical <laughs> Rent, but they don't light candles for friends. Yeah. Oh, I light candles for my friends all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're a very sweet man, Jeremiah. I, I'm, I know. Hey, I'm a compassionate man. I don't, you know, I'm a I loving, compassionate person. I don't waste candles on friends. It's not, it's <laughs> no, not, you definitely... Not no, you definitely don't set candles unless you're hoping something romantic is going to happen. Uh, I, so, uh, you guys, so what do you think? I mean, I was, like you said, Mike, it was just the look Hansy gives her as she hangs up the phone is does not look good. I mean, the way he kind of caresses her head almost makes me wonder, like, what is he going to do? I mean, it was just – it really did look bad. But uh, the thing is, I'm wondering is, is it possible he did leave her alive because – He's he's been he does even though he's gone on this little bit of a killing spree he didn't he's not like he's killing everybody he didn't kill the guy at the gas station right I mean is it possible that he had a little compassion there and left her alone Mike what do you think do you think that there's any chance that Constance Heck has not been sent to Heck 
I mean, I agree with you a little bit, Jeremiah, that he's not tying up loose ends here. Um, he's a little bit functioning like another Cohen antagonist, Anton Chigar from No Country for Old Men. Specifically, the scene right. coming up with the shopkeeper is very reminiscent of, you know, flip a coin friendo. Yes, um, absolutely. So, I mean, I would say, you know, and Hansi isn't afraid to, like, get his, you know, he isn't afraid to come back in and kill the bartender. And it's, you know, his, I think he's probably very clear that he, he knows his face is going to be in the newspaper the next day. But I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like... Hans is also the type of person that, like, he got his use out of Constance, right? And Constance could have very easily, as soon as he left, called Peggy and said, hey, this guy's coming for you. And so that's something, that's too much of a danger to leave uninhibited. So I feel like he had to kill her. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking the same. I'm thinking it's bad for Constance. I mean, who knows? There there have been some loose ends left uh, throughout this season. And Hansi has left loose ends in the past. He left, you know, one of the kitchen bros alive. Uh, so he's done that before. So maybe, maybe, maybe he left Constance alive. But it certainly looks bad. That looks bad. Yeah, I mean, I never expected her to to live. I thought for sure. I I thought maybe might wait till we get to the big massacre at Sioux Falls. I thought maybe at the very end she'd be one of the many casualties that we're going to probably expect to see in this big massacre. So I would be surprised if she's still alive. But you know, you never know. Like you said, Mike, maybe he flipped his coin and she she's going to be okay. But. Ooh, even if she is, I still say she dies eventually. Yeah. So we, we go back to the cabin. Um, you know, Dodd is staring at them as they're trying to sleep. They put the pillowcase over Dodd's head. This was really funny. We talked about this earlier. It's just great. <laughs> God damn it. There's more callbacks, too, of course, to Fargo. If you remember, they put a bag over her head in their hostage situation, too. That's right. So. That's right. That's right. Uh, but, yeah, then then we have the next day. Ed's going to make the call one more time. And then Peggy gets sucked into this new Ronald Reagan movie that we're seeing. Yeah, I thought for a second we were mm-hmm. watching The Man in the High Castle by accident. Yeah, by accident. <laughs> we were getting a vision of an alternate universe. Uh, but, yeah, so just to break it down a little bit, it, it's, uh, Jeremiah, was this, is this another one of the fictional Ronald Reagan movies? Is this a, a movie that was fabricated? for the show do you know yes it was fictionalized and a lot of people think it was that operation eagle's nest that we saw uh molly watching uh in the i was like gosh maybe the first or second episode i don't know if you remember back that far early on yeah so it was early on which some people think that maybe it's the same movie not quite sure i mean but it obviously shows that how easily peggy just she goes into like sucks into this her own world there that she wasn't even aware of the fact that Todd was uh, escaping from his, from his, uh, you know, ropes and stuff. So it was just wild to watch how, how much she just was enthralled in the whole thing. It was crazy. She right? gets very focused. She gets yeah. very focused on a thing, and she's, you know, she she's going to see it through. So she's watching this movie. She's gonna she's gonna give it her all. Um, so let's talk about what happens in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. It's there's a there's a Nazi soldier who is hunting down uh, a French soldier and a love interest, and he has them cornered in this downstairs room that they've locked themselves in. He's trying to smoke them out. Um, if they if they don't open the door, they're gonna you know they're gonna burn alive very likely. If they do open the door, they're gonna get filled with bullets. The man Pierre he volunteers himself to be a human shield. He tells his potentially his lover. He says one of us has to get across the border. He says it border like chowder, uh, and he it's chowder it's chowder. So he he volunteers himself for that role, and he goes through. And just as they're about to get shot, someone shoots the Nazi uh, 
in the back, and that's the Reagan character, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this this guy gets shot. The three of them escape, but the Nazi somehow survives. Uh, he gets back up and he pursues them relentlessly. Um, what are we What are we making of this, Mike? What, how does this? You know, it's not. It's no coincidence. There's there's very few coincidences on Fargo. Noah Hawley is a very deliberate uh, writer. You know, the things that he's putting on the show, whether or not we're going to like them in the end, looking at you alien stuff, they're on there for a reason. Like it's building to something. So why why do you think that he? You know, why spend economy of screen time on this moment? What is this representing? What are we supposed to divine from this? Does it have anything to do with the end of the episode? Is this foreshadowing something that maybe we're going to see later in the season? What's your interpretation of it? So I think this is uh, a great parallel to the current situation they find themselves in. And I do think, as you just said, that it alludes to the end of the episode as well. I mean, we see a couple where the man says, I will become a human shield for you. I will protect you. We even saw that happen a few episodes ago when Ed gets arrested and decides to basically take the blame for what Peggy did uh, in order to kind of try to save her. So that's a very clear parallel between the two of them. Then you have someone who is pursuing them. In this case, we will see that once Dodd gets the upper hand on them, he's going to very aggressively pursue them, much like the Nazi, even though he is not armed. Then this random guy is going to come in, the person that you least suspect, a person that maybe disguised as a Nazi soldier, and will uh, try will kill in one case or uh, I guess somewhat you know make a flesh wound on in the movie's case, uh, but <laughs> will come in and help kind of save the day. And that's Hansy in this case, the person that you would least suspect. And so I think there are a lot of parallels there. The 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 ending though about the guy the the Nazi soldier getting back up and pursuing them probably doesn't relate too much considering I do not think that Dodd's going to re- reanimate himself. And no zombie Dodd? No zombie Dodd. <laughs> um, unfortunately not. The walk- I feel like- We're not getting the walking Dodd? No. Uh, you know, Dodd might be hiding, hiding under a, a dumpster on uh... false hotel until episode 10 at this point. But I think those are pretty clear parallels and i think that the whole uh the whole analogy here of there was smoke coming in there's a a raging fire as well definitely symbolizes ed and peggy's situation too of no matter where they think they may be going they're getting trapped in from all sides and that even happens at the end of the episode when you know handy came in and he's one danger then ed looks out the window and he sees hank and lou and that's another danger as well right so it's, it's sort of as a representation of them feeling cornered someone coming in and saving the day though it turns out that maybe he didn't save the day after all right so either way you know they're getting smoked out or they're getting the bullets is you know they're they're looking at a damned if you do damned if you don't situation absolutely yeah yeah and i like i like the parallels too because we saw so much about the gerhardt family being nazi lovers that i think it's kind of interesting if you kind of look at maybe the gerhardt's or in this case dodd being the nazi but yeah i i that's kind of the parallels i had of it but i understand where you're going josh is could this possibly also be foreshadowing for something to come and that's always possible as well, too. So it's, it gave us a lot to think about, and they certainly did, like you said, burn some some decent time in the episode to show us this. There's a lot to chew on here. So I, I there think, is a you lot. Know, you know, I don't think that that's there for no reason. I, I like Mike's yeah. read of it. I think that it could be foreshadowing something as well. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, it was it was definitely definitely intense. And and now we we go back to the gas station, Ed. Finally, uh, he he's fed up with the Gerhards. He's gonna he's gonna make an offer elsewhere. He's gonna he's gonna call up Mike Milligan. Um, Mike, were you surprised to see that like they just had in a newspaper that was just like Kansas City Chieftain Mike Milligan holed up at the Pearl Hotel? That that was just like so brazenly in a headline and no one seems to care. Yeah, absolutely. And I I, asked, I actually asked you guys this on Twitter after I listened to your last recap about. 
you know, once you find out that Ed had called Mike Milligan, I, I tried to cycle back and think like, wait, am I missing something? Have the two of them ever met or talked to each other whatsoever? And the answer was no. I guess this was the first time they did it. But yeah, I mean, I guess things were back in the 70s. You could have, you know, crime bosses' names published in the newspaper and no one will bat an eyelash at it. Wow. Yeah. I, the, somebody had pointed out that I can't remember, I'm trying to remember where I saw this, but somebody had pointed out the fact that even in The Godfather, there was a time where in the paper where they had, I don't know if it was Michael Carlone or if it was actually The Godfather himself's name was in the paper, and I was like, oh, yeah, I suppose it's possible. I, I do understand why a lot of people have troubles with this, and I know there's a lot of arguments online I noticed about people really complaining about that this particular part and of how how Ed finds out about Mike. But I, I'm okay with it. I, I don't. I don't really get my. I'm not the kind of guy who's going to get too caught up on something like that and, and let it completely ruin the story for me. But it was very convenient, wasn't it? I'm not going to get too caught up in it. But I think that there are a few Fargo season two isms that yeah. are starting to emerge, and I think that this is on the list. I think that just like you have a random newspaper with Mike Milligan's name in Kansas City, and that's how Ed is going to find out that there is a rival person that he could sell Dodd to is really convenient. And we talked earlier about this Hank get a pass because he got a bump on the head you could give him a pass if, if you want and you could pro- probably the biggest reason to give him a pass is so you just get over it and you move on and you go with the flow of the story because the good of fargo is much better than the bad but there have been some moments this season that have just been a little wobbly and a little bit wonky yeah. um this was one of them for me where it's just like uh, mike in the paper and then there's like the clay county post that has the manhunt underway for hansy and you see hansy's picture in there so quickly and you know the, t- the timeline they is- work fast up there in, nor- in the I, north i guess so they, they got nothing better to do just uh they're just pumping out those papes uh yeah. they're, they're really they're, yeah, really... they're all run by newsies yes. yeah exactly uh, but we are shifting a lot in time as well in these all these sequences so maybe maybe it's maybe if we see it all together again maybe it will make a little bit more sense but it, it certainly certainly did seem convenient and there was definitely some other ways they could have maybe had where ed could have found out about mike some other way but yeah it is what we. It is what it is, right? It, it is. It is what it is, and I think that in, you know, just like Dodd being force fed beans, I think you just got to swallow the beans <laughs> sometimes, and like eventually <laughs> or they're like, going to land in your open wounds, right? So I think <laughs> that you want to you want to avoid that. You don't want to cauterize the wounds with beans. You just want to eat the beans and move on, or you can you know resist the beans and spit them out. That's your choice. Uh, I I'll just swallow them. We'll be fine. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. we we need, we needed a reason to get the Kansas City people up to Sioux Falls and call it a contrivance, if you will. But I mean, if it, if it leads to an ultimate result, I'm going to be happy with it. I think uh, the reason why I would grab with plot points like this would be if it ultimately led to nothing. But since it's ultimately going to this whole big massacre, chaotic event that's already started, the ball's kind of in motion already with the stuff that Hansy has done, but it seems like it's really building to a fever pitch next week. I, I feel like the end will justify the means here. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I, I think, I think uh, I will call it a contrivance. You know, I, I think I, I think I will say it's it's too convenient, but it, it happens. It exists. You can get mad at it, or you can move on. But I think it's worth pointing out. You know, you when when we're talking, when we're singing the praises of the show, I think that when something really you know not fantastic, something something a little uh, something a little dumb happens on the show, I think it's worth you know just knocking on the door of that. Um, yeah. Before we leave the phone booth. Uh, part. Yeah, did yeah. you want to talk a little bit about? Uh, so, what do, you, what do you think about that foreshadowing with the hangman in the? Uh, I was going to say the, the the Sioux Falls hangman. Yeah, there's so there was a lot of foreshadowing that someone had or you know was kind of probably being a noose before the end of the episode. This was just one of them. So, what, what did you think about that? Uh, did you notice that, Mike? Yeah, or I no, noticed. Mike? That. 
I yeah, just had to say the second time, um, and I I didn't get the the news thing though until you you just stated that. But I was like, well, I guess Ed's so bored he's playing hangman with himself, just calling all day, feeling like a telemarketer. Uh, but I was I've been confused for a second because I'm like, well, it's it's he's also like probably the worst. He's probably the best person you want to play hangman against because he's going to come up with like the things that are in the room. You know, he's the guy that's going to write down like wooden chair for a word because there's a wooden chair in the room. He doesn't really have much creativity to him. Uh, Oh, come on. Yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) That's very true. Yeah, it's and it's it was just obviously it was fun to put it in there for us to to wonder about because the whole up because you see it very early on when he first goes to the phone booth and you're like, okay, it's a hangman. It's Sioux Falls. What does this mean? Some somebody's somebody's going to have the their neck in the in a, in a, uh, in some ropes before you know it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did, I wasn't thinking about that at all, but just in retrospect, that's pretty clever. Uh, I, I really, oh like yeah, that. I like that in retrospect. I think that's really good. Um, I also just loved the phone call between Ed and Mike that we got some oh. elaboration on that, and just seeing Mike uh, being so pumped to get this call. Yeah. Just like he's, he's not even questioning it. He just says, if I kiss you when we meet, would that be inappropriate? It's been a day. The fact is, I, I do want him. Uh, and, <laughs> and I love that and how they can, they can strike a deal over this situation. Uh, Mike says, yeah, oh, that's fine. We can make sure the Gerhards aren't after you. What do you think, Mr. Bloom, Mr. Other Mike? Do you think that Mike Milligan is going to hold up to his end of the deal? Or at least do you think in this moment, we know that Dodd is off the table. Um, yeah. But in this moment... Is Mike sincere? Would he actually get the Gerhardt family to stop going after Ed? Or is his version of that, we would get the Gerhards to stop coming after you because I'll probably just kill you when we meet up? No, I don't, I don't think, I would, I, maybe it's because I'm a fellow Mike, but I like to think that Mike Milligan has at least somewhat of a heart here. And what I would think that it's been in his best interest to help to, to get Dodd back and then not to, you know, he'd have to tell Ed and Peggy, you're not going back to Fargo anytime soon, where you're going to have to, you know, whether, we put you in witness protection or something. It seems like the Kansas city people were very classy businessmen. Uh, so, so maybe they did have the hookups to kind of get them squirreled away in some sort of other community, maybe in Kansas city, but I don't know. I, I have, I have faith in the, in the Mike Ed pairing that he would have, uh, went in on his end of the deal because I mean, I think Mike got very lucky here. He just took out, he just undermined his boss in the worst way possible by taking out the guy that was about to replace him. Right. He, he needs something to bring back to the boss and say, this is how I get results. Boss, Here's- that's Don Gerhardt! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. Maybe he didn't, I mean, maybe he doesn't need to, you know, yell it in his face like a wrestling announcer, but who knows? Yeah. Maybe uh, Adam Arkin's a big fan. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think that that he needs results. He needs to show that he is worth something. And so I think that having Dodd, the possibility of Dodd there is going to make him, it's going to give him a heart, if you will. So he'll say, you know, I'll, I'll let you guys go, even though it might not be the best thing to do because that's another loose end that even though, you know, Ed and Peggy might be off in, I don't know if they moved to like Chesapeake Bay or something, they're still going to be out there and they're still going to know exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk a bit about the ramifications of what happens to Dodd in a bit. There is this great "No Country for Old Men" esque scene here with Hansy at the gas station talking to the clerk, and you really, you know, you're half expecting Hansy to pull an Anton Sugar and just say "Hello, friendo," uh, and flip a coin, call it. You know, none of that happens, but there is that tension between Hansy and the clerk that you could very easily see ending very poorly for the clerk. It doesn't, thankfully. You know, he, he makes it out of this situation alive. Uh, but 
it, it was really intense the way that that movie was intense. What did you think? You know, we talk about are the Fargo, uh, are, are the Cohen-esque moments, are they too Cohen-esque? Does Fargo need to dial it back? Uh, Jeremiah, was this too over the top? Was this too on the nose, no country for you, or did you like this? No, I, I liked it. I thought it was great. I, I think what it came down to, I think Hansi figured, hey, he gave me the information I needed. I'm going to let him go. But it was very tense for the guy. I mean, I thought there was a good chance he could have gone either way with this as well. So I, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'd be interested. We haven't heard Mike yet about uh, his feelings on this. What do you think, Mike? Um, I mean, I'll admit I'm probably in the same camp as you, Jeremiah, in terms of my Cohen's knowledge. I mean, I've, I've seen, you know, Fargo, No Country for Old Men, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, but I really haven't investigated a lot more of their film history. So maybe it's because I'm so not tuned into that universe that I'm fine with it personally. Um, and right. I think, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm fully bought into the show because they did a great job in season one of, even though there are parallels, I mean, you have Molly Salverson instead of, you know, Marge Gunderson, or you have, instead of Jerry Lundgren, you have a very similar name for Martin Freeman that I forget at this moment. Lester, Lester Nygaard. Yeah. Yeah. Lester Nygaard. So you, it seemed like season one, you were going into, you're like, okay, this is basically going to be like the movie, but they defied my expectations there. And so I'm, I'm willing to still believe them that, you know, even though they might be making overt references, I think their heart is still in creating a new story. Um, and so I, so I didn't mind it too, too much. I mean, I also cover a show for post-show recaps that makes Disney references every episode. Uh-huh. So may, maybe I'm just sort of <laughs> numb to it at this point. And, you know, if you think about this too, guys, there has been a lot of attempts at people making television shows from, from a movie, right? And most of them have been pretty bad. I mean, I'd maybe go as far as to say all of them are, except for this one. This one, of course, is is special and it's beautiful. And if to, if they feel like that this is something they need to kind of do to continue to give a little homage to not only that movie but the other movies that the Coen brothers are, have done, I'm okay with that. It's just, it's just little pieces here and there. It's fun for us to, to talk about, you know, and, and catch and go, oh, yeah, did you notice this, you know, and things like that. People love talking about that stuff anyway. So I think it's okay. I mean I think for the few people that do not like it, Ah, forget those people, right? Forget. Yeah, those I mean, I would also say that in general, I feel like even even the scene from No Country for All Men that they're alluding to here has a general over of like a, a western, basically of a modern set western. Yeah. And I, so I feel like even past that, all this is sort of represent. Hansi's entire journey is basically representing like a Clint Eastwood western movie of like the guy who's on a mission to catch the person that wronged him. And so I right. feel like even if the it's not, I don't feel like I don't even feel it's a, it's a reference to a Coen Brothers movie as much as it's a reference to like a general genre, and that the Hansi storyline in particular is representing that facet of the genre. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, I, I liked the scene. I thought the scene was good. Uh, all right. So let's let's go to the the big big climax of this episode, which is uh, Dodd has somehow freed himself. He's knocked out Peggy. Uh, how do, how do you think Dodd got out of that? Just like pure tenacity, like just overnight, he was just working those ropes. Yeah. He he bled out so much that he he actually decreased in body weight, so he was skinny <laughs> enough to slip out. Right. He was able he was That's able to <laughs> sneak out of those ropes. Uh, those gearhots can do anything, man. Yeah, but he sneaks out. He sneaks out of the ropes when Ed walks in. At first, I was really thinking, "Oh God, did Peggy die? Are we about to see like dead Kirsten Dunst on the bed or something like that?" Right. Uh, she's alive. He leaves her alive. He leaves her un- 
bound because classic Dodd underestimating women, you know, talking about my theory is Satan is a woman and, uh, you know, all of this terrible stuff that he's saying. Um, and I think that, you know, we talk about how it would have been great for one of the strong women on this show to be the person who takes out Dodd, but she gets him in the position to be taken out by she takes out his. She takes out his foot, if that's fair. <laughs> she takes out his foot. She, you know, she really, she like knocks him out. Uh, he's, you know, we don't know what the condition his neck was in when he was uh, about to be killed by Hansy. He does complain about like his spine. Um, something's <laughs> wrong with my neck. So, you know, she really, she effed him up pretty hard. Um, it was great. <laughs> so, you know, I, I do like that his undoing is that he just completely underestimated Peggy there. And right. that gets him in the position to be cut down by Hansy. But this is a really intense scene where Ed is hanging from the noose. And I didn't Ugh. think that Ed was actually going to go here. I felt like there was still more story to be told with him. Much more story with Ed and Peggy to be told than with Dodd, certainly. So I felt like this was going to go in their favor. I just didn't think that it was going to go so firmly against Dodd as well. Yeah, I mean, it was also pretty unpleasant to see how purple-faced Jesse Plemons got. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. That was, didn't, that, that was that pretty, looked so real, didn't it? Yeah, it really, it oh. really did. Uh, but, I mean, also, Dodd totally... Uh, you know, pride cometh before a fall here. And, and Dodd totally deserves it with his... I mean, he had the bravado to, after he escaped from his bindings, to not escape, to instead, like, teach them a lesson by knocking Peggy out, waiting for Ed to get home, setting a trap like you would a bear, and then deciding to strangle him while then monologuing about how he was right about women all along before getting stabbed in the foot. Yeah, didn't... Uh, yeah. What was his name? Syndrome? Is that right? Wasn't yep, he... that's... Yeah, Syndrome says, you know, never monologue. Never he, monologue. Yeah, and he, but Dodd didn't wear a cape, so he's good in that regard. Well, maybe that would have made him cooler. <laughs> the Dodd yeah, cape. there was a lot of there was a lot of people that were really confused and didn't understand why Dodd would not kill Peggy right away. But I agree; I think he wanted to make a show of this thing. He wanted to make this big show and have her watch everything happen, and then who knows what he had planned for her? I'm yeah. sure it was not going to be pleasant, right? Yeah, he says that earlier in the episode. Like, I can't wait. I'm I'm going to have a good time with this. So, you know, he was definitely planning on that. And he's arrogant. You know, he thinks that he's just going to come out on top, and he's reckless as hell. And we've seen that from Dodd throughout his run on the show, that he charges head first into war because he feels like that's the attitude that's going to win the day. Um, so, you know, he's not th- he's not thinking about it. He doesn't, he doesn't feel like he even needs to think about it. He feels like this is just a slam-dunk victory, and of course, it's not. Uh, Hansy comes in. He walks in. He kills Dodd. He shoots Dodd. He wants to get a haircut from Peggy. Um, so he's he's trying to he's trying to change things. Uh, what's Hansy's move here, Mike? Why? What? What? What do you think Hansy's at when he comes here? When he kills Dodd? When he's looking so weary? What? Where do you think? Uh, where do you think Hansy's head is at? So it's apparently in Native American religious tradition that. You grow your hair out, much like a Dothraki warrior. And apparently cutting your hair, the only way a Native American male can cut their hair is when they are mourning the death of a close relative. And I don't know if it's mourning the death of a close relative as much as Hansi might be saying, I am mourning the death of Hansi the Gerhardt, uh, you know, compatriot. I think that I think that maybe it was the hunt all day uh, made him sort of, you know, all that time alone, maybe made him internalize and realize, like, what am I doing this for? I'm doing these for a family that's slowly getting picked off one by one, and I'm getting nothing for it. And so maybe he was having this whole existential crisis. Maybe he read The Stranger uh, after, you know, maybe he found a copy in the bookstore that Noreen was at. And so when he got to the cabin and he saw the situation that Dodd was in, I think Dodd, you know, on his ass, bleeding and still, you know, yelling at him and telling to him to help him, I think 
Hansy's probably took a good hard look at him and said, like, okay, this is this is not worth it. And so he asked Peggy, you know, cut my hair. I'm going to be someone else. I'm moving on. I'm going to go into the wind. Uh, but the fact that he had to escape the haircut because he nearly got shot, I think that's a symbol that he's still in the game. Uh, because he wasn't able to, you know, kind of cut away literally and figuratively his previous life, he's still a part of it, and he still has to help the Gerhards now. Well, yeah, you, I, you think he's still Team Gerhardt here. You think that – I, I agree that he's still in the game, but dude just shot Dodd. Uh, I feel like he's he's a third party at this point. I feel like he's mm. – and, I mean, there's a bunch of third parties in this thing. But he, he to me, feels like a wild card at this point. He no, feels I, like I, I, I would a man without a country. Because, I mean, who's, who's, the, who's one of the people that would want to see de- Dodd dead? Floyd. And so he could very easily. Floyd wants to see her son dead. Well, I don't I think, think she wants Dodd to die. I think well, that she wants Dodd to fall in line. I don't think she's going to be psyched if she finds out that Hansy killed her son. But it, but he could very easily say, you know, he was out of line, and she knows that. She even says last episode, he's Dodd was bringing this family down. And so yes, one of her sons is dead. But if you know, I think she has enough of a trust in Hansy that she can say, like, okay, this this was probably for the best. What's the next move? I don't know. That seems wildly out of character for Floyd. I think that Floyd is, uh, she, she hates that she dragged the Gerhardt. She hates that she had to be part of this, that the Gerhards had to go to war. She hates that this happened. You know, she has that really tender moment with Dodd in the car on the way back from the negotiation with uh, Joe Bulo back in the day. Um, and, you know, I think that even though she thinks that her son screwed up hard, I think that she, you know, she, she says it when she's making her deal. She's like, you know, my, you know, we got to, you got to protect my my family my family has to be protected here so i don't know i think that she's not going to be thrilled if she finds out that another one of her kids has been killed in this war and was killed by someone she trusts just as i don't think that she's going to be psyched if she finds out that bear had dodd's daughter killed also but i don't think that she would punish bear by killing bear um so i don't know i i have a really hard time seeing floyd reacting to hansy with open arms and like oh well you destroyed a, a you know an unstable element good for you you're back on the team um i think i think what's more likely is that hansy he's in the mix here he's here in 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 the general sioux falls area we have hank and lou at the end of the episode they come in they bust they bust in on on ed and peggy they've got ed and peggy in their sights now it feels very easy to see how this can all come together where they're still going to try and play out some sort of situation with mike milligan hansy could be in the mix there and could be someone who upsets the apple cart there but but I really have a hard time seeing how you would be Team Gerhardt for it. Well, okay, so I'm, I'm going to jump here because I, I had the exact same reactions that Mike had to this whole thing. Because the symbolism of the hair, I, I did some research, too, about uh, Native American culture and what the hair means to them. And, and it is a very spiritual thing as well, it was, which kind of thought was interesting because uh, Dodd kind of mentions a little bit about uh, – Samson and Delia's story, the Bible, which is kind of interesting because, you know, Samson had, you know, super strength when he had his hair was long. But when it got cut, he would lose that strength. And I just felt like there was so much symbolism there about him cutting that hair. And we had the scene where the scissors just barely misses his hair as we realize that both Lou and Hank are coming, you know, coming through the door the other way. And Hansy, you know, realized, oh, shit, I got to get out of here. So I felt like that symbolizes that he wanted to, of course, like you said, Mike, change his life. He wanted to step away from – he was tired of, of being who he is. He wanted to step away. But because his hair did not get cut, I feel like he is still going to be handsy. He's still going to be working for the, 
for the Gerhards. And I think what's going to happen, though, is that to explain this, is he's he's going to play it off like that Ed and Peggy killed. Uh, he's not going to just tell Void, oh, yeah, I, I killed, you know, Dodd. Or, Ed you know, would not go be, over well. This, the, guy, the guy was practically dead anyway. Right. I mean, the guy's been stabbed. It's a, mer- it's a mercy kill more than anything. Right. It, was, it really was kind of a mercy kill, you know, in a way. So I just, I, I really, you know, feel like, I don't hate to side so much here with our guests, but uh, I really, I, I'm with Mike here. I really think that Hansi is, is still going to be working for the Gerhards uh, come the next episode. I could see Hansi working for the Gerhards, but I can't see Floyd finding out that Hansi killed her son and being cool with it. I, I will, I will acquiesce. I understand. What you're I, 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 I could definitely, I could definitely see that, and I could definitely see, just like you know, Dodd a few episodes ago said that, you know, the Butcher of Laverne killed Rye, I'm sure that Hansi could spin it in a similar way. Totally. The Butcher of Laverne struck again and he killed Dodd. That I could see. Yeah. I could see that. Um, I could yeah, also, I I could also see would. him going, I could see him going rogue, but I could see him doing that. I could see him spinning it in some way that's going to keep him out of hot water here. Um, Absolutely. But so, so where do we think the episode is going next week? Where do we think that Fargo is going now? We've got one, uh, we've got two episodes of Fargo left. One uh, episode left before the finale. Yeah, we've got one more episode before the finale of Fargo season two. Uh, we've got the castle coming up. What do we think is going to happen in the castle, Jeremiah? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I really haven't really thought too much about theories about it. i mean obviously this next episode to me feels like it's, it's gonna have to set everything up for what we're gonna have in the finale which is gonna be a, probably a, a gigantic bloodbath right one would assume i mean we know that the that the bodies are starting to pile up but have enough bodies mike piled up to qualify this as the massacre at sioux falls or is that still pending not enough bodies of characters we know and who are important to us. Our, on our list, we have Dodd and maybe Constance. I don't think anyone has put any stock into the guys, the racist at the bar or the bartender. Uh, so I think that we're going to have right. to see a lot more important characters fall in order to really call it a massacre. Um, and I think that, you know, we're going to have Kansas City coming up. Hank and Lou are involved now. Uh, and I'm, you know, I think that the Blumquist might be able to broker some sort of deal with them because now that they can say, okay, we know. Mike Milligan is coming up. You guys can have him in a room and catch him. Uh, even though they, they kind of failed to do that last episode. I feel like they really hop in this opportunity right now. And so I yeah. feel like the thing, things are really lining up in place here. Even though uh, the other thing about this episode is that I feel like this episode, it was an episode of near misses. Uh, there, we talked about contrivances before, but there were a lot of shots where one car would pull out as soon as another pulls in. Uh, and so I feel like maybe they're foreshadowing that a lot more of that is going to happen and these characters might not meet each other until the finale. Interesting. Yeah, I mm. can see that. That's very possible. Yeah, I mean, this kind of, it's been, it's been that sort of pace this season um, where it, t- it takes a while. I mean, from Rhinoceros to Lop Lop, like to think about just how much has actually happened in that span of time. Um, you know, a lot of events have happened, but timeline-wise, it hasn't been a ton, and a lot of people haven't connected quite yet. So I could see that. I could see that it could take a little while. I could see that the castle is a little bit of setup. Um, I did not watch the preview. I have learned my lesson with the previews. I'm not watching the Fargo previews. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know if you guys watch it. I didn't. Uh, I can't weigh in. Uh, is there anything interesting there? Should we give a spoiler alert if there's anything in there that you guys saw? I don't... I don't remember seeing anything real significant. What do you remember anything, Mike? No, it's, it's not. It's the, at least the previews seem to set up a, like a setting the chess pieces thing. There's there's sort of exposition about like, oh, Mike Milligan's coming to Kansas City, and so we and we see right. people on the phone and getting out of cars. And I'll leave it that vague. There's no Otto Gerhardt is dead. 
<laughs> you know, type of next time on. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, it's right. it's not Mad Men vague, but it's pretty vague. <laughs> okay, cool. So I'll, I'll I'll be good with that. So let's see. Let's see where it goes next week. Mike, thank you for coming on. Uh, it's great. I don't know if we can do hashtag Mace Windu, Windu Syndrome this time, but uh, it was great that you dropped that again. I really love that. <laughs> that. Of course. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I mean, I, I love listening to you guys. This is a, a very... I wouldn't say heavy in terms of material, but in, uh, in terms of like heavy in terms of theme, it's almost like dissecting a, no- a short novella every week. And so I think you guys do a great job with it. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be back on and for you guys being able to, to handle my crackpot theories. Uh, I know good. I'm probably way off based on a lot of these things, but I, I'm glad I have a forum to at least throw them out into the wind. Yeah, I like it. I think it's fun. There you go. Uh, so great, great having Mike on here. Follow him on Twitter. He's at a Mike Bloom type. Jeremiah, as always, you are the man. Uh, he is at J Panhorst on Twitter great stuff this week jeremiah thank you sarah thank you good good stuff from both of you guys it was a lot of fun talking about this episode uh you can hit me up on twitter i'm at round howard uh hashtag is the walking dot easy yeah no, I, I like that i think we very go, very easy i think we can go with the walking dot hashtag the walking dot make sure to tweet at antonio as well at ac mazaro two z's one r and just tell him how much you love dot this week it was really really great and i'm sure that he'll appreciate hearing that from all of you guys uh and send him some well wishes as well he really is a sick man that guy yeah send him lots of beans i hear they do well with wounds <laughs> yeah i hear i hear that as well all right guys we'll be back next week with another episode of the fargo podcast here on post show recap subscribe to what we're doing postshowrecaps.com slash itunes and for the fargo specific feed postshowrecaps.com slash fargo itunes jeremiah mike we will talk again someday